Welcome everyone to this edition of the Nikafa Our Huddle Includes Everyone podcast series. And to kick off the 2023 football offseason, we asked Nikafa President Gowan Harding to jump on the podcast and just take a look at the landscape for football, not just within Nikafa, but here in Ottawa. And take a look at the uh, 2023 season, what that might look like. Uh, talk about possible expansion within Nikafa, talk about some possible rule changes, also talk health and safety issues. All that coming up with Gowan Harding just after the break. Hey, Gowan, appreciate you jumping on. How are you doing today? Oh, not bad. Can you hear me well enough? I can. I can. You're coming in perfectly. Thank you. Awesome. Cool, cool. So I appreciate you taking the time in the, in the midst of the World Cup and everything. So, uh, again, uh, tough loss by Canada, but they fared well. So, I mean. Uh, well, listen, it's a, a great bunch of players, a really good coach. Um, you know, we all know a lot about football, but soccer and any other sports, same kind of way. I, I don't know if their pre-tournament preparation was the best. Um, at that level, you're playing against countries that have guys that are all in the top teams and around the world. And, and we play the same eight or nine teams all the time. And sometimes you get comfortable in beating. Yeah. We get to host the World Cup next time out, so that'll be exciting. But we have four years of playing, you know, South American teams, playing teams from Africa and Asia, and of course, playing better teams from Europe. But we can't keep playing Honduras and Costa Rica, right? We've got a branch and we got to get better, just like in football. So anyway, yeah, but I, I'm looking forward to hosting it in 2026. It'll be a big fun party. No, it should be good. And like you said, uh, you know, this experience to grow on after what I think it was 36 years. So that's cool. Well, first, yeah. I wanted to uh, congratulate you and the uh, and the rest of the club members on a on a successful uh, NACAFA season. Uh, just to, to kind of sum things up, how do you feel? Uh, how do you feel things went with the championship weeks and the cross? I mean, you've added uh, since the on uh, the last decade, I would say, in Cafes, Nakaf has added in the the provincial rivalry games, and then you have the Ontario Bowl. Um, how did that terminate for you guys? How did that all end up? So exactly, I, I you know, as you know, I come originally cut my teeth in soccer, coaching and playing and and all that, but you get better by playing better teams and, and, and venturing out in the world. So us playing those Montreal teams at Bantam and Midget and the um, OFL teams at uh, Tyke, Mosquito and Peewee, they just let us know what the rest of the province is doing and, and, and we've got to compete with them. So we were very, very competitive in all those games. I think in the, in the Ontario games, we were two and two against Montreal. We were one and one. And I think that really shows that NACAFA is a top league in this country. Um, we do amazing stuff, right? We had close to 2,000 flag players. I think that's insane when you figure out that three years ago we had maybe 400 players and most of them were girls. And our, we've almost doubled our girls' participation. We've had almost 1,200 boys playing flag. Then we get into tackle. And for the first time in a long, long time, most of our clubs fielded all levels of play. Um, and it was just incredible. And we had 2000 tackle players, uh, our championship weekend. When you think about, we put on 13 bowl games, 13 championship games. 
And we had about four to 5,000 people come out over the weekend. The games were live streamed. Uh, Jesse Card does an amazing job with that. I mean, we've got a really solid product. And I think it's a product that kids want to play because we are still really connected to their local neighborhoods and local communities. We'll always be that. I get questions all the time. When are you going to drop territories? When are you going to do this? When are you going to do that? And it's like, never. This is a territory-based league with neighborhood kids playing with other neighborhood kids. And I think that's part of our success. When you go to a narrow uh, rest of the province, you know, we're hitting way above our weight. You know, a city of 1.2 million people. We've got 13 clubs. Hopefully in a month we'll be able to have 15 clubs. But then you have a vibrant high school program and they do great work and we're doing great work. You have two universities, you have a pro team, you have two junior programs. I mean, Ottawa is football central in Canada, right? Like Detroit's Hockey City, USA. I think I think you could honestly say downtown Toronto, there's an area of 1.2 million people. There's not a single football team existing, high school or club. I was told Scarborough this year, 700,000 people, long history of football, not a single high school playing. So we create a lot of competition in Ottawa and we compete against each other's, but you, you know, the old adage competition makes people work harder and brings success. And um, yeah, we did pretty well this year, football in Ottawa for everybody, I think. And we, I, I think there's room to grow. That's no, one of the things I like, you brought it up. And I mean, one of the things I do like, and I, and I loved it when I played and I, I loved it watching as, you know, as, a, as I grew as a player and then later on as a coach, it's just kind of like you said, that community involvement that football still has with the territories. I mean, again, this is just my own personal biased opinion, but I, I think it would be a shame to have that kind of go by the wayside because it was a certain pride you had playing for, um, for your town. And I mean, again, it's not the Ottawa is not the same as it was 30 years ago. Nothing is. But again, you you had kind of that, okay, it's this town or community or or back in the day, it was, you know, individual cities that made up the uh, the Ottawa-Carleton region, but uh, competing against another one. And, and really, it was like, yeah, these were the guys you, you went to battle with. These were the guys you, you know, you saw them in school, you saw them on a daily basis. And it, it was just a great experience. So, I mean, I love that. And I'd hate to see that fall apart. Well, what I'll do is just before we uh, tie things up at the end, I'll ask you a little bit more about some of the future plans with the uh, addition, as you were mentioning, possibly two clubs, the flag football program. But I just wanted to, um, and again, one of the topics that's kind of, uh, that's, uh, I want to say pressing, but I mean, is on everybody's mind. And I figured I'd bring you on board to kind of talk a little about it just to find out is, I mean, with football, it's, it's literally, and again, I don't want to be overdramatic here, but the last few years, it's been under a bit of an assault in terms of uh, the, the, the safety, whether it's safe to play. You have many people saying that, no, my child or my, my son or daughter could, will never play. You even have some ex ex-coaches coming to that and I was wondering is there anything in particular like as the president and kind of leading it into this uh, we'll call it for lack of a better term brave new era of football um, what are some of the things that NACAF is looking at in terms of uh, I don't want to say framework but maybe framework or guidelines in terms of trying to keep player safety at, at, at a maximum knowing that there's there's always going to be a risk involved with contact sports yeah no for sure um Here's the most amazing thing about football in Ontario is that 
there's no real policy or instruction or mandate of trainers or physiotherapists on the sidelines. It's really up to the leagues to dictate this. So I think NACAFA has an opportunity to be a leader in player safety. I think we owe it to or the kids that we ask. You know, any sport that you put a helmet on, there's going to be risk to it. That's why you're putting a helmet on. <laughs> like it's it's one of those things that's just a given to to hide and say, oh, no, there's no risk in playing football, I think is is a dangerous line to take. So I'm going to be proposing in for next year that at Bantam and Midget, all clubs have to have a certified professional trainer slash physiotherapist on the sidelines or the game just doesn't start. At Tyke, Mosquito, and Peewee, we're going to come up with some certification for our volunteers, but we really need to start limiting liability to our clubs and, and to our players. So we need to have people on the sidelines who know what Rowan's Law is and how to respect Rowan's Law and how to implement Rowan's Law. We have to take the decision, and I think most clubs have already done this, away from coaches. We need to have people on the field who understand the signs of a concussion, how to how to stop and take a player out of a game. Because under Rowan's Law, it's, it's pretty simple. If a player loses consciousness they're not to return to the play of game they they have to leave by an ambulance you have to call an ambulance and so we need to have people who understand that we also know d at the higher level where the game is a lot faster as you know wayne and the hits are a bit bigger we just can't have volunteers we need to have professionally trained people taking care of our kids so there's something that we're going to do that is way above the minimum required by football Ontario here in Ottawa. So that's one step, right? So the next step is is looking at Football Canada's LTAD and following their mandate because it is mandated. You have to follow the LTAD program. You can't get away from it. So Football Ontario has basically said it's up to the leagues to dictate. And of course, anything that any um, sports body throws out is is uh, is a minimum it's it's there doesn't stop a league or clubs from asking for more or demanding more so if we look at the ltad you know they they talk about weeks per year they talk about uh practices how much time a week you can do contact in they talk about you know how many players it starts the game a couple of years ago nakafa took the lead uh, under steve dean and basically said that kids couldn't play two seasons at once. And that's because it's it's in the LTAD. And so we're this is nothing new. We're just going to be the leaders in making sure our kids um, are, are sa- as safe as they can possibly be. No, and that's the key. And I mean, you brought up a very good point. And it's something that sometimes and it doesn't just surface in football and other sports. But I mean, at the end of the day, the reality is with contact sports, such as your football, your rugby and your hockey. I mean, the number one goal of everybody out there is to keep the player safe. And I mean, also keep in mind, once we get to the 15, 16, 17, 18 year olds, I mean, it was a while share the same sentiments we, we were indestructible at that age you know we weren't thinking about life at 30 years old we were indestructible right at that moment so I mean uh, I can't uh, I can't stress enough or 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 kind of applaud what NACAF is doing moving forward in terms of trying to take the lead 
And again, it's one of those things that, you know, not looking at the bare minimum, but looking at ways that we can truly improve the safety of the athlete and ensure a great experience. I mean, a lot of what you're telling me right now is 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 standard fare in the American leagues. Like they just like when in the U.S., we'll call it the hotbed or the the, the birth of, uh, of football or, or, yeah, like, you know, football's Mecca. I mean, you look at or whatever and they have the governing boards and i mean there's limits on uh, there's limits on everything and more specifically to your point of having um, athletic therapists at the game i mean this is a given this yeah. has become a given at uh, at even the high school levels so i mean that's interesting stuff you're doing now you touched on rowan's law a little bit i mean obviously with covid and with the you know things slowing down for a bit I mean, it was implemented pre-COVID, but uh, where it is, is that, I mean, it's st- they're going to start to monitor it a lot more. So, I mean, in terms of that, have, have you guys taken kind of the approach or have you taken a proactive approach in terms of how you're going to be, what you're looking at in terms of some of the monitoring or, if you will, uh, the education? Have you guys come up with any type of, con- not concrete plans, but any direction you're going in that way? So, so we've been, we've been talking about, um, having people at every game who are basically spotters. And we talked about having a spotter at every game. So they would want, they would monitor kids and, and when they went down and, and whether they were um, concussed or not, that's sort of switched to this idea of having professional staff. So we're going to follow what they've done in Quebec where, you know, you have to have a certified professional uh, trainer on the sidelines. Now that could be an EMS person, that could be a nurse, that could be you know someone with that, but they have some kind of qualification. Right now, scarily, you know, you could have anyone be your trainer on the field. There's no requirement. So we really need to change that drastically and quickly. Rowan's Law, for example, all our club executives have to do a course on it to understand what it's about. Maybe we extend that to all our trainers and everybody. Everyone has to sign a waiver when they sign up to play in the CAFA that they, they, they understand Rowan's Law and they know Rowan's Law and, and they're going to help and implement Rowan's Laws to the best of their ability. But we cannot uh, think for a moment that, um, you know, I get this argument all the time. Well, we have a kid who plays hockey and we have a kid who plays football. So he, he plays hockey and then he goes plays football. Sorry. And then he's, but he was concussed at hockey. Now he comes to us. He doesn't say anything. That's fine. That liability is on the parent because the coaches and the, and the trainers and our clubs don't know about it. We can only be responsible for what happens at our football fields under our supervision and our guidance. So we've got to get this right. And yeah, we're working on a lot of options, Wayne. It's uh, it's a brave new world. You know, we, we talk about uh, software that can do baseline testing. We've got a lot of things trying to figure out. But my thing for 2023 is making sure that if something, if there is an incident in the game, it's going to be diagnosed right by someone who has the training. And if the government of Ontario tells us that we need to do more or we need to have spotters or we got to do different things, we're going to have to adjust and adapt because they are the provincial government in Ontario. So, um, yeah, no, we, we're going to make it our number one thing. You know, like just getting back to the LTAD, for example, you know, we, we talk about only having at U16, only having four practices uh uh, preseason, uh, during the season, you can only have four, four practices, but 
you know, three of those practices, Wayne, have to be helmets only. So that means you get to have one out of your four practices to be contact practices. So, you know, coaches are going to have to learn to adapt to this. And, and, and at that practice, you should really have someone who's trained, right? Because guess what happens in practices? Kids get hurt as well. So I think there's, there's an opportunity, again, to make this, you know, sport safer for our kids. No, 100%. And like uh, one of the things, and you kind of mentioned it, is, I mean, there's no fail-proof system out there. There's no way that you can 100% certify, okay, this is the way we're going forward. But it's interesting you bring up some of the contact stuff and whatnot, because I know myself, I know myself, I've um, been around uh, uh, at various levels, and I know even today you still get a little bit of pushback on the amount of contact, whereas basically at the NCAA and U sport levels, that's been, and I mean, this is an evolving thing. I, I can speak to even the last five or six years at the U sport level in terms of the amount of hitting you're doing in training camp. The days of two-a-days are long gone by the wayside. NCAA, you're looking at Alabama, you're looking at USC, these schools, their days of hitting twice a day um, for 14 days are long, long gone. There's limits on everything. So, I mean, um, it's been proven over and over again in the last few years that, I mean, the quality of player and the quality of the game and the learning of the game doesn't suffer by going about other ways. And there's, there's a lot of other things. So like you said, it's, uh, it's interesting, but it's, I I think it's something that, uh, that, you know, has to be done in football. And I mean, and I think the data dictates to it, forget about like, you know, there's the liabilities issue and everything, but just looking at 30 years ago and what's happened to some of the players versus say some, some of the, the, the stuff we've implemented nowadays. So, I mean, um, definitely applaud the calf on moving forward with that. And it'll be interesting. I know that uh, it'll be a challenge because I mean, oh, okay. yeah, Sorry. yeah. About the high end, like, you know, the Bantam and midget, but I coach tight. Right. And I can remember two hour practices that were, that were all contact. So in, in the Elta, you know, I just, you're only allowed to practice twice a week. 30 minutes max of contact per practice. So the kid's only doing an hour of contact and the practices are only 90 minutes. And then you're only allowed to play six to eight games in a season. So here's the thing. We can enter a contact season, but that doesn't prevent me as a coach now from, from, you know, running routes, teaching defensive schemes, also getting kids interested in, in off season stuff like flag football, like, if you're 18 years old and, and you want to play university, is it really smart to play 25 games? Right? 100%. Kids playing 25 games. And and they're going to go to the CIS where they may, you know, they're going to play eight games if they're a starter. Right? And it's it's it baffles my mind that people still in this day and age, look, both my sons played summer and, and, and fall football. And at that point they could play high school as well. And I think my, one of my sons played team Quebec. So that year, I think we counted, he played 29 games and it's easy. Like there was no need. When I look back now, he still would have gone into university he still would have played football at a high level had he played 12 games. 
Oh, I'm with you on that. I would, I, I've said this for years. I've said this to people in the sense that uh, football is that one sport as well. I think, I mean, obviously you, the reward is the games and you learn in season, you learn stuff on the field. But I mean, with the exception of possibly your quarterback and your kickers, um, you're you're really improving as an athlete in the off season. Like I always wondered, like, uh, and I mean, I've had more than one university coach um, make his way through Ottawa and, and ask this question it kind of ties into what you're saying is okay. When are they getting bigger, stronger, and faster? And I mean, the reality is, is the body needs time to recover and there's certain stages. I mean, there's, I mean, obviously it's mandated, but there's a reason why, you know, going back 30, 40 years ago, even, you know, college programs weren't implementing uh, th- three months of spring practice or was, they had strict, strict uh, off season, um, if you will, off-season protocols, but the basis of these off-season protocols was the strength and conditioning and other stuff because, I mean, there's a recovery factor, but, I mean, for any linebacker, D lineman, um, DB, you're you're improving or making yourself, let's say, more viable for scouting. Um, again, it's going to be the performance on the field, and as, as, as you play, you learn more about the game, but let's call it what it is. Unlike hockey or soccer or basketball, or baseball where, you know, baseball, you're hitting a ball. That's a skill you're constantly building. I mean, with football, it's the one sport out there of the major North American sports where you can take a young man who has never played a game in his life at 18, but is this insane athlete and find a position for him. So, I mean, again, forget about, like, and again, the safety issues being the important part, but I always say, you know, got to remember that off-season training is so critical to football. But, but let's get back to something else. You mentioned baseball, right? In youth baseball in in the States, they have a thing called a pitch count. And pitchers can't pitch over that. They have people saying, oh, the kid's reached his daily pitch count. And you have to put a new pitcher in. And it's all about developing athletes over a long term, right? What you're going to do at at Mosquito in practices isn't going to be what you need to do at, at midget, right? You don't need to teach really wicked defensive schemes at, at you, you, your job at, at Tyke, Mosquito and Peewee is to make it fun where these kids buy in and want to come back. And maybe one or two of them are really going to change their lives, right? Because they've been accepted. We cannot continually think about trophies. And, you know, like I, I look at, you know, hockey and I'll use hockey as an example. I think football is becoming a little bit like that. People aren't really into, when you see these tournament teams, they're really not into player development. They're into player acquirement. They're into getting the best players in, a, in an area in the city to play. They're not developing all the players on the team. And the CAFA, I get back to this, we are a neighborhood youth league that is supposed to serve our community and not our trophy hunting coaches. It's as simple as that. So that's my that's my sort of thing about being around the league for 20 years. Listen, we all want to win. When I coach, I want to win, and I know it feels so much better to win. It's, you know, the ice cream at the end of the game tastes better and all that stuff. In our league, we have 13 teams vying for a Wee championship or a Bantam championship. Only one is going to win the big game. 12 teams journey was useless and not important and then they should just say oh we were losers for that or is that journey more important than the end result because i've seen teams win c cups and they are the happiest people in the world they went two and six and the end off was that game and they're like we overcame we stuck together this is amazing you guys are awesome 
And then I've seen teams lose a cup who are eight and oh, and they get upset and everyone's going away. Like it's the end of the universe. And I'm like, they had a season where they were perfect. That's an accomplishment right there. That's an incredible accomplishment. You know, like sometimes you're going to win, sometimes you're going to lose, but you can't let it affect the, what your value is and what your mission statement is. And I think we have too many parents and coaches that are, that are chasing the university dream and they're, they're willing to do almost anything to get them there. And the reality is as a league, we've got to say, no, this is what we do and, and uh, just go from there. No, 100%. I mean, I'll sum up that portion of what we're talking about just with uh, I'll, I'll kind of repeat a word that you said a few times there. And I mean, I stress this to everybody and anybody who's listening is at the end of the day, it's youth sports. And I mean, um, like I was lucky enough to play a multitude of sports, knowing that I wasn't, uh, you know, I wasn't going to any advanced level at the vast majority of them that I played, but to still have fond memories and the lessons you take away from it as a, as a child um just in everything and i mean it's 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 overemphasized but then on the other hand can't be overemphasized enough because i think it's sometimes lip service is to actually the life lessons and the um and what it does for the individual self-esteem to be part of that team and like i said regardless of the record at the end of the day to watch some of these kids accomplish stuff that they didn't think they could accomplish even on a personal level within the framework of a team and i mean so that's that's great and hopefully i mean it keeps going in that direction keep you too too much longer the other thing i wanted to kind of touch on was just what we talked about at the beginning some exciting new stuff for nakafa in terms of uh, looking at 2023 and beyond you mentioned the possibility of a couple new teams the growth of flag football programs outside of the safety aspects of everything what are some of the things that uh, are, are first and front are, uh, are are kind of a plan for the the upcoming cool. season type of thing I'll be, I'll be, I, I, I would, I'd regret not bringing this up and I'm going to bring it up now, but the growth of girls tackle football, uh, the Cumberland Panthers have a great program going on. <clears throat> Mark Ouellette is doing that. Ottawa's hosting the U uh, 18 national championships this summer. Um, the growth of girls tackle is going to be, I think a really pleasantly surprising thing. Um, I think there are people out there that, 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 their daughters want to play. We've just got to put the infrastructure in and get enough people supporting it. And I think it's, it's, it's going to happen. Um, also our young referees program this year was phenomenal. We found 20 new referees working with the Eastern Ontario tackle football officials association was a pleasure. Those guys want us to have games. They want us to have leagues Without referees, we don't have games. Without enough referees, we have to start looking at maybe not having referees at Tyker or, or, or at other levels. So the fact that we had 20 kids who were playing this year from our ranks sign up and want to be officials, and I'm hearing so much positive stuff about that, that it's it's – it's really saving our game way. You have no idea how worried I was last year when we didn't have. This could spread. This could spread to Mosquito, Peewee. We, we, we have a hard time on weekends when we have our mid. It's hard, but I can only imagine how disastrous it would have been had these 20 kids not signed up to be referees. And oh, that's an awesome. Sorry. Go ahead. The next, the next 
this is for anyone who's still listening and you're a coach or your parent, tell them that how happy you are that they're there. Thank them for doing it. They're not doing it for the money. They're doing it because they love the sport. And I want everyone to know this. At a, when you go to a game, there are three teams out there. There's your team, the other team, and then there's a team of referees. And we need to treat them with as much respect as we treat our opponents and we treat ourselves. So, you know, look for the growth of, of girls tackle and, and look for, again, we're going to continue doing that program because it was so successful, but the demise of Nakafa is greatly over-exaggerated. Here's the difference between Ottawa and I'll use a, a region like uh, York and Peel, where they have two clubs and you're talking maybe 40 to 50 volunteers in those clubs. We have 13 clubs right now, potentially 15. We're talking about 800 volunteers. So whatever Gowan Harding does or our executive does, there are so many people around us to make sure we do it right. And I'm not worried about the, the, if we have to put in LTAD and we're, we lose a bunch of players and we have to stop sharing players, this league's going to be around because I know our volunteers will now go out and try to find more players because every single club president, vice president, to team manager, to coach, this is the beautiful part, really cares about this league. And I'm always floored when I, I talk to parents who, who, who are just, they know more about the other team and the, than, than I know about my own team. So it's, it's, we've got a great culture here in Ottawa. Like I said, high school, um, you know, summer football, fall football. There's room for everybody. We just have to stop being fearful of each other. No, you know what? And I, I think you kind of summed everything up nicely. And uh, and again, I, I love the referee program. I love the uh, the girls' football, and I love the advances made in flag football. I think these are all great things. And quite frankly, I, I agree with you. I couldn't agree with you more in the terms of uh, Nakafa was around before I was, and it'll be around after me. So not worried about that. Well, Gowan, again, appreciate your time. Know you're a busy guy. Appreciate you taking the time to jump on. And a big thanks again to Gowan Harding for taking the time out of his busy schedule to join us today and chat a little football. And of course, a huge thanks to all of you for taking the time out of your schedules to give us a listen. Hopefully you will uh, join us on the next edition of our Huddle Includes Everyone podcast series. But in the meantime, thanks again for listening. Be safe and have a great day.